0: Hey guys, it's Darren Goldwater, a play-by-play announcer and owner of Nellwater Sports,
1: NellWaterSports.com.
0: I'm super pumped to partner up with the Say the Damn Score Nation to present to
1: you this podcast. I actually went skydiving. When you're on the edge of that door, they're like, all right, you need to go now. That was the exact feeling it was had. It's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then they push you out, and I think I just need that push.
2: Is that what that was?
1: Yes, it was. They get you up to that ledge, and, and then they mm-hmm. just kind of roll over the top of you, and you're out whether you want to be or not. I pierce harnish, but a huge third down You got the game the on? Side, yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't the say zone zone the score. And laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Right falls towards the right corner, complete to Van Der who steps across the plane. Ah,
2: say the damn score.
3: Ah! You're listening to the original Say The Damn
0: Score
1: podcast, part of the Say The Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 64 of the Say The Damn Score podcast. I'm Logan Anderson, a play-by-play broadcaster from South Dakota. This is a podcast about sports casting, and usually it involves me chatting with a specific sportscaster and talking about their story, their path, and their careers. This episode is going to be different. I'm going to share four short interviews, 10 to 15 minute conversations with people about a big career decision that I'm making. What decision could that be? Well, in late January or early February, my wife and I decided that we are both going to leave our jobs in South Dakota and move to a major market and chase the sportscasting dream. I've spent my entire career in rural Iowa and South Dakota. I've had some success in sports casting. I've covered high school and college sports at the NAIA level. I've made a comfortable living selling advertising. But the reality is, I want more, and I don't think it's available where I'm at right now. My goal is and always has been to broadcast at the NCAA Division I level. And as John Ramey, the voice of the Nevada Wolfpack, said on a previous podcast episode, The best ability is availability. I need to be available to take the opportunities that are essentially the intermediate steps between being a high school and small college broadcaster and a D1 broadcaster. And those opportunities just aren't readily available in the rural Midwest. So it's time to move to where the opportunity is. All of this is just a big roundabout way of saying in January, I had some heart-to-heart conversations with a few mentors who suggested taking the chance and moving to a major media market. However, now that I'm married, it's not just about what I want to do. That's why the first conversation I'm going to share is with my wife, Sarah, my best friend and biggest supporter. Her blessing is the first thing that I needed to get and probably the most important part of making this move. (laughs) When was the first time you feel like you understood that my career meant we might have
4: to move? I think you told me, oh man, it was in October, because I remember we were in Watertown. Do you remember this night? No. Or this, not this night. It was during a daytime thing. We like met up in Watertown. You don't remember this?
1: Not specifically.
4: We were at like the lake. We were like, walking around in Watertown at the lake, and you said... I think you said this to me then. I really like you, and I could see myself marrying you, but I want you to know that I'm probably not going to stay in Aberdeen or even in this area, and you have to be okay with that. Otherwise, this relationship needs to end. <laughs> Do you remember that?
1: I remember saying that. I don't remember it being in Watertown.
4: I remember it being in Watertown. And I like went home, and I was like, oh, man. <laughs> now I have to think about this.
2: And I, I did. Remember. I
4: thought about it for like a week or two, and then I realized like, I have a job that I love, and it took me five years to get here, but you're more important than a job, and I can always find another job.
1: So when I first brought up the idea of moving, just packing up and saying, let's find a major market and let's make this work, What was your first reaction? Did you think I was crazy?
4: No. I think I was initially scared, but also excited. Like I I didn't want to leave my job. I love my job. I, I had a really hard first couple of months this year because we had a lot of changes at our school, and it was a difficult time for everybody, but... It got better, and I love my job, and I love my coworkers, and I love my administration. I love my students, but I know that you wanted a change, and I wanted to be supportive for you. And I'm also kind of excited. Like, South Dakota isn't super exciting. (laughs) It would be fun to go somewhere like Denver or Minneapolis.
1: What has been the most difficult part of this entire process?
4: I think the unknown, um, not knowing where we're going to be. I've been applying for jobs in both places and haven't heard anything. I mean, I have some interviews. I've had a lot of rejection. Um, just kind of want to know where we're going to be. That's been really difficult for me. I'm the type of person who needs to know what's going on all the time. And I'm a planner and I like to know those things. So this it's been kind of hard for me.
1: (laughs) Like, what did you think when I said, I'm going to leave a full-time job or making pretty good money for the radio business and, and just leave that without a guarantee?
4: Honestly, I thought very highly of you that you would do that. If you're, I don't know if I can say this, say it if you're unhappy where you are why would you stay in a job like that just because of the pay like you only have one life to live you might as well work for you might as well have fun at your job and you might as well enjoy your job and you don't enjoy your job right now that's not fair to you like i really enjoy my job but maybe i'll enjoy my job somewhere else and that's okay like When you told me you wanted to quit, I was like, oh my gosh, good for you. Like, I don't know if I could ever do that. If I didn't enjoy my job, I would probably just stay in my comfort zone and just hate my life. (laughs) That's not true. But I don't know. I have a lot of respect for you that you are taking this big leap and leaving your job.
1: What do you think the biggest challenge is going to be?
4: Obviously, like both of us finding jobs that we enjoy. In either Minneapolis or Denver, living somewhere that we can afford. If we start a family soon, like, how is that all gonna work? Especially if we're in jobs that don't pay very well. I don't know.
1: You know, that's one thing we really haven't talked about yet is that, you know, we're in a situation where, in my personal opinion, is kind of now or never mm-hmm. we need to do this now or we probably need to never do it. Cause you just mentioned, we don't have, um, we don't have a family yet. It's just the two of us. And it seems that the timing right now is, is a big reason of why I think this is the right decision. What is your thought process?
4: I think you're right. When I told my principal and my fine arts director our decision to leave, they both said that exact same thing. They said, You know what? You're young. You don't have any kids right now. This is the time to do that. If you fail, you can always come back. You can come home. And I mean, you probably won't. I mean, who knows? Maybe we will fail, but they don't think that we will. But no, exactly. Like, this is the time to do this. We don't have any kids. We're not tied down to anything. We're young.
1: In our relationship, usually I'm more of the risk taker. You're more of the the observer of being a little bit more cautious. This is obviously a big risk. How were you able to get your head around that? Or how were how you able to accept that as a risk you're willing to take?
4: I think it's easier to do this because I'm with you. When I was in college, um, I had an opportunity to teach in South Korea, and I ended up not accepting that offer because I was scared, because I was alone. I've always stayed in my comfort zone. After college, I moved to my parents' house. Like, I lived with my parents and I taught in the school that I graduated from. And I'm really thankful for that time that I had. Like, it was great, but it was never super far outside of my comfort zone. I've never taken a big risk in a way. I'm kind of excited for this, and I'm glad that I'm with you because I don't know if I could have done this by myself. I mean, I don't think there's any way that I could do this by myself.
1: One of my biggest concerns, and I, we've talked about this before uh, a little bit, but is that if things start, if things don't initially go right, that you might feel resentful that things aren't working out and i made you made you move out there are you what is your thought on that
4: i don't know i don't think that i'll feel resentful i you moved here to be with me and you gave up a job in northern minnesota to stay here I think I remember asking you the same thing, like, are you going to resent me? Because I was the one who didn't really want to go. I think you also didn't really want to go, but I really didn't want to go up there. And I asked you, like, are you going to be resentful? And you said no. I don't think it would be fair for me to be resentful of you. Like, we both made this decision together.
1: Good answer. (laughs) So we are essentially doing this in a way where we're going... uh. On a honeymoon slash vacation trip to Europe for the month of June, and we are coming back without jobs and without an apartment, because we've already turned in our resignations and we've <laughs> told our landlord that we're uh that we're not that we're giving it up at we're, the end of May. We're so real smart. <laughs> yeah. The the joke that I like to tell is we're going to come home from our European vacation homeless and unemployed. Are you ready for that?
4: Yeah. <laughs> i don't know i am hoping that i at least know where i'm gonna be going before we go on our trip Mm -hmm. i have some interviews coming up that seem somewhat promising i don't know we'll see what happens i guess
1: and i mean that is i mean we've talked about it that's the way that it's probably going to happen is we're gonna go where you get the full-time job that can give us the you know the basics to live off of and the insurance and stuff like that and then we just oh, have to insurance. figure then I'll have to figure it out from from that point on. At this point, I guess I just want to let you know that I'm really really excited about it and there's no one I'd rather do it with.
4: Oh, that's sweet of you.
1: Oh. <laughs> love you.
4: Oh my god, please <laughs> cut all of this out. That sounds stupid.
1: Once the decision was made, it was time to formulate a plan. I needed to figure out where I wanted to go. I needed to reach out to all the contacts in my network and let them know that that I was searching for new opportunities and find out if they knew of anything. And really, I needed to do some soul searching to make sure that my talent level was up to the challenge of making this move. It would be a big waste of time to find out that I just left a good paying job with a lot of stability to go out and find out that my talent level just wasn't high enough, I wasn't good enough to work in a big market yet. It's obviously way out of my comfort zone, and while I do believe in myself, I couldn't help but be scared of the idea of taking away any sense of a safety net in my career. I called John Cholesnick. He's the owner and CEO of the Sports Talent Agency of America and a personal mentor of mine. We chatted about taking this leap of faith, and I'm going to share that conversation with you now.
2: Well, first of all, I want to give you huge props as well as Sarah, your relatively new bride. its I'll tell you why I think it's a good idea in a moment. But before I do, it, it's just such a risky thing to do to leave a, a, a great job. You know, you've got a, a consistent, solid job that you can count on the income right now. And you're taking a chance for the unknown. That's scary that's it's scary enough when you do that as a single person, but when you are taking a wife or a significant other for for some people, uh, that makes it a lot more challenging than it already is because now you've got to you've got to do it for two people, so that's pretty cool that you have the support of Sarah for that now the reason I think it's a good idea is because. Larger markets mean more opportunities. Uh, there's only you know so many <laughs> so many play-by-play opportunities that might come somebody's way in a small market. But I'll use myself as an example. When I left my first job in McPherson, Kansas, for the All Sports Station in San Diego, I reached. I got opportunities to do fill-in for visiting teams that would come play San Diego State and couldn't send their broadcasters. I did arena football. You know, i was the voice of the Anaheim Piranhas simply because the team called our radio station in San Diego and said, we need a play-by-play guy for the coming season. They weren't calling my old station in McPherson, Kansas for that. I got to audition uh, and finished runner-up for the San Diego State basketball play-by-play job that eventually went to John Ireland, who's now the Lakers' voice. So there's just a lot of things, a lot of opportunity, and television – There are many television play-by-play opportunities I got because I was in San Diego, and larger markets are where opportunities happen, and larger markets are where higher-profile employers look for talent. When ESPN Radio needed a sports talk host to fill out their lineup, they weren't calling my old boss in McPherson, Kansas, either, but they were calling San Diego, and I was referred to that job. So those are just examples – from me, one person's examples, and you notice the great variety that can come from putting yourself in a major market.
1: You know, you mentioned that it it's potentially scary, and in a lot of ways, I'm completely petrified by the idea. I know it's been something that I've been kicking around with different levels of seriousness, probably almost for five years, and to me, the time kind of is now or never, as you mentioned We don't have kids yet, and I think what eventually put me over the edge on that it was the right thing to do is I thought, what is the worst thing that happens if I go there and it turns out I'm not good enough and I fall flat on my face and I can come back to the Midwest and get a similar job to this tomorrow and have a happy career in a small market knowing I at least gave it a shot.
2: That's a great perspective. Uh, I would add to that two things. One, it's not a matter of if you're going to be good enough. You're, you've developed into a really good play-by-play guy. The question is how much opportunity where will there be for you? There'll be some opportunities, just a matter of how much. And the other thought is for anybody that's considering a similar move, just packing up, leaving a full-time job in a smaller market to cast their net in a large market. Understand that when you first get to that large market, your initial opportunities are going to be part-time and fill-in. You're not moving to the major market expecting to get a full-time job. It could happen, but it's probably going to take many months. And again, you're probably going to start off doing part-time and freelance work. And it may take one, two, even three years for the entirety of the plan to unfold before you're full-time so understand that and that you're going to have to find something else to do to pay your bills
1: you know certainly that is something I've considered in a lot of different ways I think I want to start with there's a good chance that I won't find a full-time job but because I made this decision in advance we're recording this on February 23rd I'm not planning on actually moving until July, so nothing. I don't want to start anything before that. I've been sending out emails to just about every contact I've made in the last five years. You, They haven't turned up very many legitimate job opportunities, but I've had a lot of people who said, you know what, uh, I know so-and-so in... We'll just say I'm going, the places we're considering are Denver and Minneapolis most seriously. We're open to anything, but those are the two places that make the most sense. And i had several people who said they would, you know, get me the connection to people at the sports stations there. So I guess what I'm trying to figure out now is how to take advantage of those potential connections.
2: Well, they're door openers first and foremost, and it's a lot easier to get in front of somebody. Uh, if I if I cold call somebody and say, "Hey, I'm looking for advice or for a job," and they don't know me, there's a much smaller chance that they're going to reply. But if I say, "Our mutual friend Logan Anderson suggested I contact you," well, now that's a door opener, and they say, "Okay, he's a friend of Logan's. Uh, I like Logan." And so I want to help Logan, so I'll talk to his friend here. That's the, the value of those as far as how to take advantage of them, name drop. So when you call a program director in Minneapolis, tell them, hey, our mutual friend Joe Smith uh, suggested I contact you. I'm looking to come to the market. The other huge suggestion I have in that situation, Logan, is, well, I'm thinking through this out loud with you now. You call those people. I'm just going to think through. Let's brainstorm this part of it together. Yeah, I mean, you you do want to let them know you're interested. I mean, you're, I'm moving to Minneapolis. I'm interested in whatever full or part time opportunities you might have doing A, B, or C. Uh, yeah, I just want to get in my get my foot in the door. I think that's how I would approach it. I, I started to say something else, but I don't think it's applicable here, so I don't want to bring it up. But I will say this: sometimes when you ask somebody for a job, you get advice. Sometimes when you ask for advice, you get a job. So when you're reaching out to your different contacts, keep that in mind. and Don't necessarily ask all these people that you've met over the last five years for a job, and it doesn't sound like you are, but rather ask them for advice in your quest for a job in one of these markets. And in, in requesting advice, some people might tell you where there's a job and, and the right person might give you a job. Hey, you know, Logan, I'm not in Minneapolis, but I'm in Kansas City, and we have a need for somebody that exactly fits your skill set. You want to come work here? So those are uh, those are some, some thoughts on how you can leverage your contacts and their efforts to help.
1: So another part of the consideration, let's just say that the most likely thing happens that I do not come up with a full-time job in this situation deciding where to go uh based on so between Minneapolis and Denver there's two kind of distinct variables between the two Minneapolis has a ton of small colleges that from the research i have done don't have broadcasters Denver has not as many there's very few D3 that i could find a lot more D2 but they have mostly have broadcasters already. But they have a lot of sports stations in that area. They have five or six, while Minneapolis has two. Uh, which would be more appealing in your eyes?
2: That's a tough call. I lean initially. I leaned toward Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, when you when you told me this in the past, for the same reason you just mentioned a lot more smaller schools. The benefits of Denver, in addition to what you just mentioned, but you've got NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and NHL, all of them in Denver. It's not only play-by-play where you can get your foot in. Every single one of those entities needs a pregame host and a postgame host, and ESPN Radio and Fox Sports Radio, CBS Sports Radio, and NBC. They all need stringers to cover all these different teams. So there's so many opportunities, and and that's not even to mention University of Colorado, or if you want to drive a little bit, Colorado State or uh, Air Force Academy. When you're looking at opportunities that you could fill, play-by-play is your ultimate goal, but there's a lot of other things that you can do that you'll enjoy and at which you'll be good and that will build your professional network that you can do, and when you're in a market like Denver where there's so many opportunities, plus I think Denver's got local cable television that broadcasts high school and college sports, you could get on board there. They're pretty darn similar markets. Maybe Denver gets the nod for the reason you mentioned because of the number of sports stations there. But then the other the other thought that came into my head when you were laying all that out I wouldn't differentiate between D3 and D2. If you can do D3, you can do D2. As far as you know, the career arc and where you need to be in your career to get a D3 or a D2 job, the requirements are pretty much the same.
1: The other thing that is going into consideration is I actually talked to another uh, prominent. He was actually a Pac-12 broadcaster. And he said, if you're going to do something like this, just pick some place you want to live because you're probably not going to find anything right away and you're going to have to network locally regardless and just to pick a place that you think you would enjoy life more. Certainly, that's something to consider, I guess. How important would you put that as opposed to uh, potential contacts or opportunity?
2: That's a great point. I, would, <laughs> I might put that number one. And the reason is I'm a huge believer that you can't put a price on happiness. You're, you know, even if you get a full-time job, that's 40 hours a week uh, out of you know, however many 24 times 7. You know, however, that would be however the first one I've found
1: that only, only has 40 hours.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But the point is, the majority of your time is going to be spent not working. You're on a lot of that sleeping. But, uh, yeah, to be in a place where you and Sarah want to live and are going to be happy, maybe it's near family, maybe it's based on weather, uh, whatever the variables are, you're going to do better in your professional quests if you're happy personally. So I, that's, a, that's a super wise piece of advice that, uh, that that individual shared with you. That's a really good, good point.
1: What is the best way to find freelance opportunities once you're there?
2: Uh, just introduce yourself. Uh, here's, here's an interesting thing. I'll use a story. I think stories are a great way to illustrate and inspire. When I was in McPherson, Kansas, my first job, amfm radio station i wanted to get back to san diego my hometown and we had an all sports station in san diego and for three years i mailed tapes to the program director there howard friedman sometimes i'd hear back sometimes not so finally i decided if i'm ever going to work at that station i just have to pick up and move back to san diego so i did once i was in town i said hey you know, Howard, this is John Chelesnick, I've sent you a billion tapes over the years and I said, I'm in town now, can I introduce myself to you, stop by. He said, oh, I didn't realize you're from Sandy. Well, I put that in every single cover letter that sent the guy. But uh, anyway, Howard uh, ended up hiring me almost immediately for regular fill-in work doing sports updates and Shortly after that, I parlayed that into uh, sports talk opportunities, and my role just continued to grow at the station. So my point is, when you put yourself in the market, now all of a sudden program directors in that market will share with you part-time needs that they have that they weren't going to share with you when you lived out of market because they didn't want to give you false hope Like, hey, if if he moves here, I don't want it to be on me that he moved here, and then I don't have enough work for him to pay the bills. Then he's ticked off because he made this effort to get out here. And then the other thing is maybe they do. They'd love to use you on the air. And somebody calls in and says, hey, I can't make my sports update shift tonight. I'm sick. Okay, well, I can't bring in Logan from where you are now, but I can bring you in when you're actually in Minneapolis. So introduce yourself to the local program directors and the decision makers at the other local sports broadcasting outlets, because once they know you're in town, then they can turn to you and they're much more likely to turn to you when they need uh, fill in or fill in talent.
1: One of the avenues I'm considering when I end up, wherever I end up is to pick a small college or a high school of some sort and use my own equipment that I'm purchasing While I'm still not broke and still having somewhat of an income, (laughs) and doing just being the voice of a team and webcasting it on my own, potentially selling my own sponsors, putting that experience uh, to work for me. What is the best way to talk to ADs or SIDs or whoever would be in charge of that?
2: The best thing to do, let's use high schools as an example. First of all, target private schools because they have deep pockets. And the parents of the students have deep pockets. And a lot of those parents are going to be business owners within the community. Uh, And it's going to be a lot easier to get advertising from them because it's an emotional buy. You know, they want Grandma out in Paducah to be able to hear Little Joey's football and basketball games, So they'll invest in advertising or supporting the broadcast, even if they don't really think it's going to help their bottom line. Uh, So that's the first thing, target private school. Second, get the coach on board first. So approach the football coach. Hey, I'd love to do your games on the internet. What do you think? Oh, I'm totally on board. The coach is always going to say it's exposure for his program. They're always going to say yes. Then you go to the athletic director and you say, hey, I spoke to Coach Smith. Uh, He'd love to have the games on on the internet and I'd love to do them. What do you think? What can we put together? So that's the best way to approach it. If you're going to approach some small colleges, there's small schools around the country that would love to have their games online. If not football and men's basketball, then women's basketball and volleyball and softball and all the other sports lacrosse. They just don't have somebody to call them. So you may be an angel from heaven for those people. And you fall right into the lap. Oh my gosh, we wanted to have an online broadcast forever. We never had anybody to do it. Now this guy, Logan Anderson calls us out of the blue Man, he's the answer to our prayers. So those are a couple of ways to approach high schools and small colleges.
1: You have told me this. You mentioned it briefly here in this conversation, but you've told me that you believe that uh, I've reached a point where I'm good enough to do this, and you said that doesn't matter to a degree. That's still my I mean, its my biggest fear is I'm going to go there and everyone says you are just some no one from South Dakota. You're not doing this at a that high enough level. Uh, go back and go cow, go tip cows or something like that. But, um, I I understand that's not maybe not especially rational, but and it's what scares me the most. More so than being able to pay bills and all that stuff is just getting there and just getting stone cold rejected. At what point do you think that? Let's just take me out of this and put anyone. At what point? In career development, is this the right decision?
2: I would say when a person has been in a small market for a long enough time that they think, I really want to get out of here, and I'm struggling to do so. I have not been able to gain the attention of employers in the job market, so I need to do something a little more proactive. The other thing I would do is suggest do this before you're married. Again, you're in a unique and a wonderful situation. I can't tell you how many sportscasters I've met whose careers have led to divorce at home. Uh, and it's it's heartbreaking because uh, nothing's more important than, than family. But it's it's hard. You're, you're Like we said, you're blessed to have Sarah and that she's so supportive. A lot of guys don't have that kind of support in their marriage or their, their relationships. So the time to make it is you know, when you're, you've reached that point of frustration, I'm not getting attention from employers, but before you get married, because then it just gets, it gets a lot tougher. And as far as the being good enough thing, there's huge trepid there would be for anybody. There was for me, when you pack up and leave a full-time job, my sister, three years older than me, when I did that, and I was, I don't know, 23, 24 years old, she said, John, you don't leave a full-time job. She said, especially in your industry. I said, you don't know my industry. Uh, but you overcome the trepidation. That's kind of the definition of courage. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's doing what you know you need to do despite your fear. So bet on yourself. It's got you this far in your career, Logan, uh, and you've done well. And you know me because you know when you and I first met, I was honest about where I thought you were in your career, and I told you you had a lot of work to do. Well, now I'm honest with you, and I tell you, you've got so much better, and you're a really good play-by-play guy. I, of all your fears, don't let that you're not good enough be one of them because you are good enough. You know, Worry about the other stuff, but just bet on yourself. Uh, it's the safest bet a person can make in their life. And if you have as much faith in you as I do and as, as Sarah does, And as people like, uh, you know, our mutual friend Jay Sanderson, there's so many people, Logan, that see wonderful potential in you. I just encourage you to see that in yourself.
1: It's funny what you were saying, where sometimes you just have to uh, take the leap. And the last time I was actually in Denver, which is one of the places we're considering, I actually went skydiving. (laughs) And when you're on the (laughs) edge of that, uh, when you're on the edge of that door and... They're like, all right, you need to go now. It it was interesting that you say that, because that was the exact feeling it was had. It's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then they push you out, and I think I just need that push.
2: (laughs) That was a bachelor party, wasn't it? I remember you telling me about that. Was that what that was?
1: Yes, it was. They get you up to that ledge, and I did it tandem, so there was someone attached behind me. They say, you crouch, so no one's going to hit the ceiling. I didn't realize why initially. And then they Mm -hmm. just kind of roll over the top of you, and you're out whether you want to be or not.
2: Well, and that's a great analogy for what you're about. It's also a great analogy for jumping into marriage. <laughs> but uh, you keep saying, that. I'm a little guy from, from small-town South. Dude, I was from McPherson, Flippin' Kansas when I packed up and when I came out to San Diego. It doesn't matter where you come from. Employers hire talent. And it's exactly the same as NFL teams. They'll draft a guy who comes out of school after his sophomore year, or, or NBA general managers. You know, they'll, they'll take a guy that's one and done. The preference is to have somebody who stayed in college for four years, but if you're good enough, they'll take you. When you don't meet their preferred requirements, or they'll take you from, you know, Kutztown State if you can play. So you can play. Doesn't matter that you're coming from South Dakota or. Shibuya, Paducah, you can play. That's what you're betting on.
1: Before we continue, I want to take a quick break to share a message from our sponsor, Nellwater Sports. And before I play this message, I want to personally encourage anyone who strives to do TV or online video play-by-play now or in the future to visit NellWaterSports.com and check out some of the reels he's already created. They are money. I personally look forward to using Nell Water Sports when I hopefully get my first opportunity to do TV play-by-play as I make a move to a major market that I will reveal at the end of this podcast. Anyway, here's Darren.
2: Hey guys, Darren Goldwater again of Nellwater Sports. I've been a play-by-play announcer on the regional and national level for the last 15 years,
0: so I know exactly like you how hard it is to actually have executives see and hear your work. That's why I created Nellwater Sports. We're a demo reel production company specializing in putting your best foot forward. Our clients have earned jobs in the NHL, AHL, AAA baseball. Others have advanced to the regional and national level calling collegiate sports. Some others have catapulted
3: over 50 radio market sizes. Check us out NellWaterSports.com. Mention this
1: ad and get $50 off your first reel. That's NellWaterSports.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Another important conversation I had was with Jason Barrett. He's the owner and CEO of Barrett Sports Media and SportsRadioPD.com. He's been a major market program director in places like St. Louis and the Bay Area. I was really interested in picking his brain about what he looks for when hiring people, or at least what he looked for when he used to hire people. I thought this might help me gain perspective on the process I'm about to go through from the perspective of someone who makes hiring decisions. It, we'd, if a, a surprising opportunity came out of left field, we'd be open to it, but we're almost certainly going to go to Denver or Minneapolis, just because those are the mm-hmm. places that make geographic sense, and um, we have connections to. Um, this is kind of based off of her being able to get a teaching job, since I'm probably going to be doing part-time work uh, for at least the— yep. uh, at least the beginning. I mean, the hope is to get full time as fast as you can, but who knows how long that will take. And um, let me
0: give you a suggestion on that front. Um, You know, obviously, you you know, depending on her situation, depending on your family situations, all that. But if everything's equal between Minneapolis and Denver, go to Denver, your opportunity for work will be double in Denver than it will in Minneapolis. So, I mean, Minneapolis, if you just look at the landscape, K Fan doesn't change much, nor do they need to. They dominate in the numbers. Uh, and then 1500 ESPN's got some great people there too, but they also don't change a lot. Whereas if you look at Denver, you've got 104.3, the fan. You've got Altitude Sports, 950. You've got Mile High, which is in, in the space there. And you've got Orange and Blue, 760. And what that means is you got iHeart. You got Bonneville, you've got uh, Altitude, which is run by Stan Cronkie's group, and then you got Mile High, which is run by Nate Wande, who used to program the fan. So, just based on odds alone, if you're looking at this as like, hey, look, I got to go somewhere where I have a shot to get in the door and start working my way up and learning, you easily have a better shot in Denver as far as that goes. Now, if you have friends, though, inside a K-Fan or 1500 and they're willing to help you like, you know, get started running a board or producing or whatever. Well, then that maybe that changes it. But I I just know there's so much more room in Denver for doing things as long as you're willing to go there.
1: Doing this, I feel I kind of got to just kind of be open to whatever opens up. So kind of i don't want to be pigeonholed saying i'm going to do this this is what i'm this is what i do this is what i'm willing to do i'm kind of just going to do whatever i am given the opportunity to do and then try to figure it out from there see that's that's where
0: like i I, you know look aaron goldsmith who calls the seattle mariners uh was my board op in st louis and um I, you know, he was a guy who went the minor league route, and you know when when he worked for me, it was literally, hey, I want to just get in on the radio station, even though I know I'm way further advanced than a board op. It's just more professional time on the resume, and you know because he was willing to move all over the place for minor league gigs, it paid off for him. On the other hand, there are guys like Bob Schusin and Ian Eagle who started in New York doing, you know, updates producing, eventually some you know part-time talk show hosting. And because they sounded good on the air and they made the right relationships in town, and obviously they're very good at what they do, they were given opportunities to take those steps into play-by-play. And so it's not like there's one set path. What I would say to you, though, what what's most important is getting on-air experience. And so from that standpoint, like whether you're writing an update, whether you're reporting on a team, like if you're reporting on a team, you're around that team all the time, which means you're developing relationships, which could ultimately come into play five, six years later when you're trying to get in there to do bigger things. So from that standpoint, like if a team hears you on the air a lot, and even if it's doing updates five, six hours a day, or they see you in their facility a lot because you're reporting on them. That that stuff is just as valuable as the guy who's doing a smaller school's college games, you know, for play-by-play experience. It just ultimately comes down to, you know, does the team have an opening? Do you have a good relationship with them? And do you have the skills to do what they need done?
1: Put your uh, PD hat on, and uh, how often – were you cold called by someone in this situation where it ended up being successful? Is it something that happens more than I think, or is it pretty rare?
0: No, I, I mean, look, you're, um, you're the first thing you said on this call was the right thing to do. When you said, uh, you know, we're going to move to a bigger market and we're just going to roll the dice. Like I, I always tell guys, look, it, you know, if you're a PD and you're in, I don't care, you know, St. Louis, Tampa, Portland, Oregon, all right? There's three different ends of the spectrum. And I get a phone call, and I have an entry-level job for a guy to do some part-time updates or part-time producing to get his foot in the door. Am I going to look at the guy who lives 1,000 miles away, South Dakota, or some guy who maybe isn't as good but is slightly, you know, behind but lives in my backyard? I'm gonna take a guy in my backyard. I'm not gonna get a budget to bring a guy in from a thousand miles away. <laughs> and like and quite frankly, your interview in that process is gonna be by phone, you know. So it's you don't have a chance to really build in that regard. It's one thing like a lot of PDs when when you're talking about a talk show host who's got a resume, like if I'm in San Francisco and I'm hiring Brandon Tierney or John Lund, uh, you know, the rise guys guys that I hired there, I didn't care that they weren't from there because I knew who they were. I knew they were good. And I knew that, hey, you know, we're building something. I can afford a year or two for these guys to learn the market because I know they're qualified talent and they'll, they'll make the adjustments. But when you're in a developmental situation trying to grow and get opportunity, you've got to be in someone's backyard. And those calls and those emails come all the time like you know pds are hit with a mountain of stuff and so you know you can have the better looking resume than someone else you can be more you know relentless than someone else and that's all fine and all but if i'm in let's just say i'm in portland and i get your resume the first thing i'm going to look at is wait he's in south dakota that tells me two things. A, you're not in my backyard. And B, South Dakota is not necessarily the biggest market. So how battle-tested are you? How much training have you received? My my belief is just like when I was starting my career, I was in Poughkeepsie, New York. Nobody gives you training in Poughkeepsie, New York. Everything you learn, you learn on your own. And if you're making mistakes, well, you don't correct them because nobody's telling you. You know, And so... A lot of PDs are going to look at those things and they're going to go, all right, well, this is a project that I'm taking on, and he may be worth it. But reality is, I got a guy in my backyard who's just as young, just as hungry, maybe a little less skilled, but you know what? I'm a good PD. I'll I'll work with the local guy and I'll get him over. And so that's what you're up against. That's why I said, hey, if you can afford to be in Minneapolis or be in Denver or any other city where there's good brands and, you know, pro teams or college teams do it because that's, what's going to ultimately put you around more, uh, more action and it's going to get you better training. And if you have to kind of look at your career, almost like a book, you know, it's like different chapters. All right, here's the entry level spot. Here's where I want this thing to end up. All right. What chapters am I writing along the way in this thing to ultimately produce a compelling read? And that's what you're going through.
1: What gets your attention when people try to get a hold of you via cold calls?
0: Well, there's good and bad. Uh, first, if I tell a guy, listen, I got your materials. I appreciate it. I'll be in touch. If he responds two days later with a phone call or an email, uh, literally, he's going in the filing cabinet. like Because that tells me you don't pay attention to detail. Um, one thing PDs hate. They do not, if they say, like on an email, for example, no phone calls, don't call. Now, some guys will say, well, I want to stand out from the crowd. I'm telling you, you're going to stand out from the crowd for the wrong reason. A lot of guys talk and they'll come back and go, yeah, this guy's a pain in the ass. He doesn't follow directions. Um, What I will say that normally gets uh, gets a PD, you know, the attention, and and keep this in mind. A lot of programming is very subjective. What I like, another PD won't. What that the PD who likes what I like, you know, is probably would hire you. The PD who likes what the other guy likes won't hire. You know, it's just it, there's a lot of that. So to me, I'm I'm always and you know play by play. I would say I, I have a couple. Uh, I have a couple clients who have had play by play. One went through a play by play search just two years ago, and what they want to hear is unscoped material that shows you what you're going to hear when you put that person on the air, you know, they don't, anybody can put together a nice highlight package. It's like saying like listening to a band saying, Oh, look, they sound great in the studio when you do all the editing, but when they get on on the road, can they go in front of a crowd and perform? You know, it's the same thing with with sports radio and play by play is if if you don't, what, what you send to people should be a representation of what you could deliver when you get to the air. And if you don't, if it takes you having to cut everything up to sound good, that's eventually going to stand out when they bring you in for an audition. And they're going to say, okay, so basically you're a good editor, but you can't actually deliver. So I always look at it like this. If you put 10 good minutes on tape, first of all, most PDs are not going to listen to an hour of your stuff. So if they listen to five to 10 minutes and they think it's good, they're going to hit you back and go, thanks for sending that along. Do you have anything else? Because now you're in their head to where, hey, that was pretty good. I wonder, does he have more of this? You know? And whether you send two five-minute clips, one 10-minute clip, like stuff like that, that's a smart approach. And then obviously you have to have, uh, like I said, get to the point, hook them with something compelling. And then it's a subjective business. So you're going to have to deal with, you know, What one guy loves, another guy may not love as much. But hopefully, you know, if you sent it to 50 guys, 30 like it and 20 don't. And that's pretty good odds.
1: All right. I know you have a jam-packed day, so I'm going to ask one more question and let you get on your way. But, you know, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about, you know, if you say essentially following up after an email, how do you balance, you know, kind of being – aggressive and being relentless with um respecting the the time essentially of a pd and showing that you can follow directions all that stuff is a month later okay think,
0: No no I listen I, I what I would suggest and this ultimately comes down to do they have a job posted or do they not right like the time that pds get really annoyed is when they have a job posted with specific instructions and then like You know, I've had guys, Logan, show up at the office, corner me in an elevator, and I literally looked at the guy and I said, did you think you were helping your cause doing this today? he was like, well, I I had to stand out, man. I had to get here. I said, you did, and for the wrong reason, (laughs) because I'm telling you right now. Like, do you think that, you know, when you show up at my workplace, uh, follow me in the hallway into an elevator that you think i'm going to wind up calling you for a job interview it's not going to happen man i, I got i got a staff of 30 professionals upstairs uh, are you going to follow them around the damn hall too like no nah, man that that ain't going to work uh, um what what i tell guys is like let's say for example a job's posted and it says uh you know inquire send an email no phone calls please don't send don't put a phone call in hell if you want to stand out Cut a 20 second video. Say, "Hey Kevin, it's Logan. I appreciate the, uh, you know, the opportunity to present you with my materials. I, uh, I'm really interested in being a part of your radio station. I think I can make a difference for you. Uh, I look forward to hearing your feedback on my uh, my work, and hope we get a chance to connect soon." All right? Most guys sending a a demo don't send that, and they tell the guy, "Hey, look, he's putting a little extra into it." After you've sent it, it's okay if in a week you send an email and go, Hey, uh, Kevin, I just, uh, I I hope things are going great with the station. I was listening the other day, your morning show did X, Y, and Z. It was really good. Uh, I just wanted to make sure you receive my materials and, uh, would love to connect when time allows on your end. If, uh, let me know how, how things look, if we could connect sometime soon. Thanks for the, uh, consideration. Like." Nobody has a problem with that. More times than not, <clears throat> you'll get a response from a PD like, hey, thanks, Logan, for the interest. Right now I'm swamped trying to go through this process. I'll be in touch. And, you know, like being relentless, like that, that's, you know, that I, I look at that. That has more to do with when the job's posted. If the job's not posted, and let's just say for argument's sake you move to Denver tomorrow. And you said, um, <clears throat> hey, uh, Armin uh, at 1043, the fan, or James at altitude 950, or Tim at 760, or Nate at mile high. You send an email to all guys. Hey, guys, uh, I want to introduce myself. I just moved to Denver. Make sure I just moved to Denver is at the top of that. Because otherwise, they're looking at a resume of a guy in South Dakota applying for a job or trying to let them know that he exists. And they're going, Not in market, not major weekday host pile. So you want to make sure like, hey, uh, Nate, great to meet you. Uh, I just moved to Denver and I wanted to get on your radar in the event there are opportunities down the road that may make sense for, uh, you know, for me and your radio station. You know, here's my background, blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that right there starts to open the door where a guy's going to look at it and go, all right, you know what? Hey, he's just a a new guy in town uh, who's done some work and might be somebody to look at down the road. Because most of these PDs, they look in their backyard before they go looking all over the place.
1: Finally, I chatted with Brendan Gulick. He's a friend and freelance broadcaster in Cleveland, Ohio. While no path is truly the same, he made a move that is in many ways similar to what I'm preparing to do. I talked to him about the challenges and rewards of living the life of a freelancer. Just give us the Cliff Notes version of what led you to leaving your... It wasn't a full-time job, an independent contractor job but doing minor league baseball with a a normal workload we'll call it and uh, just deciding to move back to a city
3: yeah so I I had paired my minor league baseball with a college basketball program out in Maryland uh and so I was I was pretty busy for pretty much 10 months out of the out of the 12 um and the long and short of it just the work kind of dried up on me and uh You know, so I decided as I was trying to think about what my next step was, uh, I mean, on one hand, Cleveland's home. And so it's a little easier for me to come back where, you know, things and people and places are familiar. uh, Because even when I've lived outside of Cleveland, I had continued to try and develop uh, and maintain a lot of contacts here because I like Cleveland. You know, but part of it was just, okay. I'll go home until I figure out what that next step is. Uh, and to be honest with you, things started to fall into place here for me. I mean, I, I was able to kind of um, go back to a Division three school in Cleveland that uh, had been certainly very good to me uh, at Baldwin-Wallace, and so I've, I've done a lot of work for them over the last couple of years now. Uh, and I've just had a few other things that have, have kind of gathered some steam since I you know, have, have hit this period. And whether or not it's, it's been directly because of coming back to Cleveland or not, uh, hard to know for sure, but um, you know I was able to get in with Spectrum Sports Ohio, and so I've started doing some high school TV, football and basketball, and uh, have helped them out with a couple of different things. Uh, I I was able to to land an anchoring job at ninety two three The Fan, and you know my biggest goal with that is is that it since it's the number one sports station in the market, um, and it's one of the more well respected mid market stations in the country that hopefully that would help me build some credibility and, and just, you know, keep going. Um, I, I like that it was doing the ticker. You're, you're basically just doing, you know, news updates every 20 minutes and, you know, it, it's a great way to kind of kick the door down a little bit, um, in, in a midsize market. So, you know, between that and some of the other things that, uh, whether or not I've lived in Cleveland have been able to, to kind of fall into place between calling several NCAA championship events, um, I, I've done a lot of United soccer league and national women's soccer league work. Uh, it, it just sort of felt like once I made that move back to Cleveland, a lot of things started to fall into place more, uh, both locally and, and elsewhere. And so, you know, it, it made that more comfortable for me of saying, okay, well, I, I think I'm building something here. Let's try to keep running
1: with that. What's been the most difficult part about finding a the variety of freelance work that you've been able to come up with
3: just knowing that a lot of it you can't control, um, on your own. And, you know, you might see opportunities that you really want, um, that for whatever reason might not work out and you get told no more often than you get told yes. And so learning to just stay patient and, um, Trust your process that when you when you stay prepared and when you continue to treat people well, uh, this is a big world with a lot of opportunities. And I've always had the belief that there's enough work for everybody. And so, you know, when something doesn't happen, just accept that that's part of the process and something else will happen. Um, It's almost more mental than anything else.
1: Living the life of a freelancer can be difficult. You don't necessarily know where the money to pay bills uh, is going to come from month to month. You just have to hope that the work is going to be there. You have to keep track of your own finances and taxes and stuff. What has been the most difficult part of the... uh, I don't even necessarily mean the most difficult, but what has been the challenges and rewards of being a freelance broadcaster as opposed to being employed by a traditional full-time position?
3: Like everything, it's got its pros and cons. Um, I think maybe the biggest challenge is learning to be uh, really, really good about managing your your time and your money. Um, There are months where you have more work than others. And so, you know, when you do it for long enough, you you're able to kind of get an idea of okay, what do I think I can do annually here, uh, and then figure out okay, hey, when I have when I have good months, how can I stretch that money out so that when I have bad months, I'm not missing bills. Um, it's challenging for sure, but you 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 kind of have an idea. I mean, you know, look, generally in basketball season, when you have a few games a week, um, that that tends to be a busier time of year for me with no baseball at this point my two slowest months are certainly June and July um with doing so much around the college athletics season i'm i'm pretty busy august through may but june and july there's not a lot going on with that um but in june and july i i have some of that USL and and NWSL soccer work so they're not totally dry but you kind of have to to be pretty detail oriented about how you you know spend your money in good months and how you can save it for months that you know are going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit tighter. Um, that's the biggest challenge. Um, I use the QuickBooks self-employed um, service, which, I mean, the app on the phone is great. It helps me track all my mileage so I can write off mileage when it's appropriate. Um, it also tracks all my expenses. You just link your bank accounts to it or your credit cards to it. And uh, every time you make a purchase that's uh, a business expense, it's literally as simple as swiping a direction and it, you categorize it as a business expense and there you go. Um you can track personal expenses too if you if you choose to do that. Uh but it's it's helped me, you know, make sure that I'm on top of all that stuff. You take pictures of the receipts and you know it it saves them digitally and uh you know it, it it's made tax time a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> I can promise you that. Um so that's that's the biggest uh, you know biggest thing that I've used to help me in that regard. Uh, I, I think the you know on the pro side, I guess if you will, the the side that I've really enjoyed. I think my favorite thing is the fact that I'm I have flexibility. You know, when you're tied down to one specific full time job and you're working for one employer. Um, it's sometimes difficult to accept other assignments because you have to be loyal to your full-time job. Um, there are days that full-time job would be great. <laughs> uh, I would love to have the benefits of of being a full-time you know employee somewhere. Um, you know, as a as a contractor, you pay your own health insurance, uh, for example. And a lot of times, you don't have to do that, or, or you pay much less of it when you're full-time somewhere. Um, so you know, yeah, there's pros and cons, but I, I like the flexibility in my own schedule, the ability to you know be able to say yes to an assignment or shift some things around. And yeah, that has its challenges too. You 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 know you don't want to accept an assignment and then have to go back to somebody and say, hey, I've got a conflict. Um, but if you're transparent and you're upfront, and you know you just try to be as honest as you can with people, um, maybe I've just been fortunate. But I I've you know. Not really run into situations where people have been upset with me. On the few occasions that I've had a conflict, because um, I try to handle it, you know, as honestly as possible. So I guess the long and short of it is the flexibility of being a freelancer is easily its its biggest asset. Um, you know, I don't know if I would call it a drawback, but there are just challenges to make it work financially and and uh, to make some other things happen in your life um, that you can't necessarily do in your full time. So uh, that's that's probably the the long and short of it
1: have you had to come up with other jobs outside of sports casting or side hustles of some sort have you oh, done yeah. that or not <laughs> absolutely
3: I uh, when I when I worked for the University of Cincinnati um, I did women's basketball and baseball games for the Bearcats for a year and you know it, it was a fabulous opportunity man I I Even now, still, I think so fondly of that time because I loved it down there. But I was not making a lot of money at all. Uh, I worked essentially full time hours in Panera's catering uh, office. And there were a lot of days where I, you know, I got up and was at work at five o'clock. And. You know, you start with breakfast deliveries and, and you know, you're actually there ahead of time making coffee and and getting deliveries ready to go. Then you go out and, and deliver them. You come back and you get lunch orders ready. And I, mean, I was driving all over the city of Cincinnati, um, downtown and in the suburbs, dropping off, uh, you know, dropping off big catering orders to, to businesses all over the place. And then I go call a game that night if it was appropriate. Um, I also worked at a local bar. Um, you know, you just – you. You find other ways to make money, and there's absolutely no shame in that. I mean, um, there's a lot more people than you think that are doing that kind of thing just to make some extra cash, uh, and and I, I I think maybe there's a stigma out there that, well, if I'm a sportscaster and I'm not always on the air, you know, there I, I have to be, you know, prideful and I can't go take another job. I You got to do what you got to do, and um most of the time when you're up front with those employers and just say, hey, this is something I'm doing for some extra cash. You know, I'm looking to to work X number of days a week or, hey, I really can only do morning shifts because I got a lot of night games. You know, weekends are tough, but I can work any weekday. Um, you can find the right kind of stuff to help supplement your income. Uh, but, yeah, I'd, that's just one example. I mean, I've I've had to do that
1: several times and builds character. <laughs> uh, hindsight, of course, being 2020. 20, do you – look back and think that you made the right decision to move back to Cleveland?
3: I, I try not to look back on anything, uh, with, did I do that right? Or did I do that wrong? Because, um, I, I think that leads to negative thoughts. I think it's hard to look back on something and always say, yeah, I did that the right way. I think the best thing you can do when you're faced with a situation where you're going to take a job or you're not going to take a job, wherever that is, um, you gather as much information as you can you talk to as many people as you can you get as as good a feel as you can for the place you're moving to whether or not it's somewhere familiar or you know somewhere brand new to you um, so you've got all this information and you make the best decision that you think you can make for you right then and you go with it and you commit to it and and if it's not going to work um, then that's okay you you sit there and you say, you know what I'm, I'm gonna give this the best, you know, best I can, and, um, it, you know, if if it doesn't work out, that's not because I didn't try. Um, you you can't go back and second guess yourself because I think once you get in the habit of doing that, uh, you'll second guess way too many things, and you might start second guessing things you shouldn't. So, I'm a firm believer of there's a right place and a right time for everything, and I moved eight times in four years for different seasonal opportunities. Um, and I don't regret any of them. I, I enjoyed my time each place and, you know, some of them came to an end more abruptly than others. Um, some of them I knew when I started that there was an end date and, and, you know, you could start the countdown clock if you wanted. Um, but that's just the nature of it. So you take every opportunity you can and you, you make the most of it. And, you know, until you're full time somewhere, that's part of what being a freelancer is all about is knowing that you're, you're kind of hopping from job to job, um, specifically about Cleveland. It maybe it's been a little bit easier because it's home. I have some family and some friends and, uh, still in the area. I, I went to school here. I love the city, uh, and things are working out well. So I'm, I'm happy that I'm here. Um, but I've approached it the same way. I mean, I've, I've looked at the opportunities that I've had since I've gotten here and, and just decided, okay, this is what I want to keep growing on. So, I I try not to look back and second guess or or wonder if I did something or if I should have done something else.
1: That is it for the interviews in today's podcast. Thank you to John Chelesnik of STAA, Jason Barrett of Barrett Sports Media and SportsRadioPD.com, thanks to freelance broadcaster Brendan Gulick, and, of course, thanks to my lovely wife, Sarah. All of these conversations were recorded sometime between February and April of 2018 when we were still juggling what to do and where to go with this situation and this move. Well, actually earlier this week, Sarah has accepted a teaching job in a Twin City suburb school. So after our trip to Europe, we will be moving to the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and we are excited to move forward. She's excited to start her teaching job, and I'm excited to start going after sportscasting work in the Twin Cities. Thank you to our sponsor, Nellwater Sports, and please visit nellwatersports.com and let them know you heard about them from the Say the Damn Score podcast for a discounted reel. Please subscribe to the podcast and social media platform of your choice by clicking on the big red subscribe button on SayTheDamnScore.com. Thanks for listening, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.